0: Good morning. I'd like to share a few thoughts with you this morning, and I hope that the Lord is in it, and I hope that He will bless it. One of the afflictions and obstacles that we have as children of God that suffer and battle with the flesh nature that we have, that nature that is prone to sin, that is drawn to things that are contrary to what pleases the Lord. It's a nature that wants to take us away from the Lord and closer to the world. And it wants to submit itself to the wicked desires of our heart. And that nature lays obstacles for us and afflictions for us as we journey through this life. And everybody uh, can attest to that, experiencing those things. One of the things one of the obstacles that we face because of that nature is that we have a tendency for our ears to grow dull in the things that we hear. Maybe a small example of that, just in the natural sense, would be everybody that has ever been a parent when you have your first little one. And as they grow, at some point for in, in, in my life, For the very first time, one of them would say, Dada, right? And you celebrate. It's exciting. You hear your children call your name and to address you. And it just fills you with so much joy to hear that, right? Well, time passes, and sometimes I will find myself maybe sitting around our family and the same voices that brought me the great joy are saying the same thing that they said back then. They're calling my name. And my ears may have grown dull to hearing it. And they may have to call my name five, six, eight, ten times. Dad, 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 daddy, dad. The same voice that just shook me to my core at one point in my life My ears may have grown dull to that. And it does not shake me like it should. I'm sorry for that, guys. But that's an affliction and an obstacle that we have. Things that were once very precious to us that we've heard just have a way of growing dull. And spiritually speaking, we experience the exact same thing. We hear wonderful truths preached um, from the pulpit we hear them on podcast and maybe there were times that the message that we heard just really really spoke to us and maybe you've heard it over and over and over and over and over again the message is just as sweet and it is just as rich as it always has been but our ears have a way of growing dull Right. And the Lord told his people that many times throughout the Bible that um, you your ears have grown dull. You're hearing something, but it's not impacting you like it should. Right. And so we all suffer from that. Um, you know, a good example that I can think of is um, we preach about and you hear about the love of God. Right. And, you know, since Adam and Eve in the garden you know, man has been trying to elevate himself to the same level as God. You know, I mean, we could, you could preach a, a good many sermons on how we try to do that, right? Um, when, you, when you have a way of uh, inserting your own preconceived notions into the Word of God so it will spit out what you want it to say, you have, you have made yourself, try to make yourself equal with God, right? you've tried to make your own ideas and your own feelings to be divine, right? That's just one small example. Um, But one way that, uh, you know, that we do that is we try to make uh, God's love, we try to put it on the same plane and the same level as our love, uh, our feelings of love, and When we try to do that, you know, we can never on this side of heaven and maybe not even in heaven, I don't know. We can never take our understanding and our ability to love to the same level as God's. So what we try to do is we try to dilute God's love down to our level, right? Where we can understand God's love in a way that we understand love, right? And so... You know, it's uh, we think about, uh, oh, I love that, you know, and, and there are different different levels and types of love in the Bible. And that's not my subject this morning. But, for example, I think about the verse that's in first John in the fourth chapter in verse 10. And it says this "Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now, I want you to think about it that for a second we think oh i love the lord i love the lord i love the lord and and i'm glad that we do but that's that's really not a great love why wouldn't you love him because even in the smallest smallest of blessings that he bestows on us our lives are greatly enriched why would you not love him It's easy for us to understand why, I'm talking about children of God now, God's family. It's easy for us to understand why we would love God, right? But what is beyond my own comprehension is we cannot say the way we feel about God is the way God feels about us. The way we love God is the same level of love that God loves us. You see, but we get dull of hearing how much God loves us, and over time we just dilute it down to where God's love is is equal to our love, and that's how we understand it. But the Bible says here that herein He says this is love. Let me explain love to you is what He's saying. He says love is not that we loved God. It says but that He loved us. Now, and it says. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means to appease or to pacify. And so he says, let me explain to you the level of God's love. Now listen, and I mean this with, with, and I hope you hear me with what I'm saying. And I think you would agree with me. I hope that if, if the situation ever arose where I had the opportunity to, to actually give my life so you could continue to live yours. I hope in those circumstances that I would have the courage and that the, my love for you would swell up inside of me and I would be willing to do that. He said, Oh, well, that's a great love. But hear me now I will never give one of my children's life for you. I will never sacrifice them. And allow them to take the bullet, so you don't have to. Right. That's a whole different level. Right. You understand? Yeah. He says, and it's good that we love the Lord. He says, it's no big deal that you love the God, love God. We ought to love God, right? What's not to love? But the fact that He loved us—what do we read about in Romans the ninth chapter? Jacob, have I loved? But Esau, have I hated? Right. And I remember when I first came to the Primitive Baptist Church. You know, that's a verse. For somebody that has not heard it explained in the proper way, that's a verse that will cause many people to recoil, And many people to say, oh, no, no, no. Well, listen, folks, if it's in the Bible, let us reason together. And let us humbly submit ourselves to the things of the Bible. You know, the word predestination is in the Bible. And so for somebody to go around and just violently oppose predestination, you've got to believe it in some shape or form because it's in there, right? But the Bible tells us that his love exceeds so far above our love. And when I heard, and I can't remember if it was Brother Tim, I have heard him say it, but I've heard many preachers say it. They say, it is not shocking and it is not unsettling when I read that the Lord hated Esau. You know, and again, what's not to hate? You know, read about Esau in the Bible. What's not to hate? But they said what is shocking to them is that God loved Jacob. Right. It's easy for me to accept that, that God hated Esau. It's harder for me to accept that God loved Jacob. Right. Why would a holy God... And again, it's hard for us to understand that because we've taken God off of this pedestal and brought him down to our level with our level of reasoning. But I think when we see God face to face, when we're standing in his eternal glory, th- that passage will be very easy for us to understand. Because you'll no longer feel like the person that says, well, look at me. Why wouldn't God love me? You'll be like Peter did in that boat. He falls on his face and says, Lord, I depart from me. I am a sinful man. You'll be like the publican that beats on his chest and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. The fact that God would love us. But see, we dilute down God's love. Listen, I'm here to tell you this very simply that God's love for you as his people far exceeds any love that you could ever experience in this life. From breast to breast. You understand? Yes. Now, so much so that while I'm not willing to give my child's life to spare your life, he was. You see, the wrath, the wrath of God because of the sin of man had to be appeased. God had to be pacified, just like a baby who is crying. What do you take and give that baby to stop that baby from crying sometimes? A pacifier. You are pacifying that baby's anger, sadness, or frustration, whatever it may be, in the same way God's anger had to be pacified. But he didn't go get a pacifier. He took the only thing that would be worthy to appease the wrath of God, and that was his own son, the perfect lamb. Now, that's love. And don't ever forget, as you walk through this life, that he loves you that much. Because when you understand the level of love that God has for us, or just a fraction of it, it should motivate you to be obedient, right? Right. Now, let me finish up with this right here. And this is really what I wanted to get to this morning. Don't let your ears grow so dull of hearing that you ever dilute that God is a merciful God. We've heard some great news. This morning in our prayer request time, right? Yes. Don't ever forget that one of the traits of God is that he is a merciful God. Right. And his mercy far exceeds our mercy. Amen. On our greatest, most merciful. Uh, if you were to take the most merciful act that we have ever done in this life, it falls so short of the level of God's mercy. Uh, over in the book of Lamentations. I want to read this verse to you. It says this, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You know what that tells me? It tells me that even on my very best day, the reason that God has not crushed me to powder is because He he has an attribute that is called mercy. He is a merciful God, meaning that Luke deserves to be crushed but I'm going to activate mercy towards Him. Amen. And in the name of Jesus Christ, who was the propitiation and the appeaser of our sins, I'm going to withhold that and not consume Him. And that's not a one-time thing. It says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His passions fail not. I'm Listen, I'll hear, I'm, I will submit to you, my compassion fails at times. It does. Sometimes you see somebody and they're living in such a way and no matter how many times you try to help them, they can't make a good decision. And sometimes you just say, well, Well, they made their bed, let them sleep in it, right? Your compassions fail sometimes, but God's compassions never, ever fail. And if they ever do fail, which they won't, we will be consumed. But God's compassions fail not. Let me leave you with this. They are new. Well, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That doesn't mean that God has been merciful to me on Tuesday. And I'm so good he can skip Wednesday. Every day. I would go down to every minute of my life. God has to dispatch the spirit of mercy. So I can take one more breath and one more step. Let me give you this right here as I close. In John the 8th chapter. A great, beautiful picture of a merciful God. <clears throat> Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, He came into the temple. And all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. Can you picture that? Maybe, maybe just like this right here. Okay? Jesus is standing in front of a crowd of pre- uh, people, and He's teaching them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they, said, they say unto him, "Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act." Now, let me tell you what, and, and, and this, this is me assuming something, okay? I think the reason it says that she was taken in the very act, I think she is drugged into the center of this assembly, completely unclothed, in the greatest. Display of shame that any of us could face publicly, right? They've probably drug her across the dirt and here lies this unclothed woman, dirty, probably sobbing, crying because of the shame that she's got. And they go to Jesus and they say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? You see, they were trying to trick him. And it said that this, this they said, tempting him that they might have cause uh, that they might have to accuse him because when the Jews at this point are under the Roman law, all right, if the Jews were a free independent nation, their law said, if you're caught in adultery, that you are to be stoned, right? Well, that's simple. But when the Jews became under the Roman authority, the Roman authority said, we will allow you to uh, carry forth an execution, but not for all the reasons you have. We'll let you do it for two reasons. One is, um, one is a threat against the temple, and another is blasphemy. You can execute for those, but outside of that, no executions, right? right. So they bring this woman in, and they say, "Well, Moses' law says that we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And they know if he says to stoner, they go to the Romans and say, "Uh uh-uh, he's breaking the Roman law. But they know if he says don't stoner, that they'll go to the Jews and say, he's not obeying Moses' law. They're trying to trap him. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. There's been a lot of talk about what he wrote in the ground. And I'm going to to hopefully show you this morning, that's irrelevant. What he wrote in the ground, number one, we don't know. But number two, it's not real important to what happens right here. He wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. How many times have you heard this used? And spoken this way. He that that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's not what it says. Because the picture painted there is there's a huge pile of rocks. And who is going to come and get to throw the first one at her? Meaning that she's the only target. That's not what he says. He says, he that is without sin among you, let him first. Cast a stone at her. Meaning that, and then, we're going to continue to stone all of the adulterers here. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Why does what he wrote on the ground Why is that not what had the impact here? Because that's what the Bible says. It says, and when they heard it, it was not what Jesus wrote. It is what Jesus said. And what did he say? He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And I feel like the the most logical interpretation of that is, is all these people that drug her in there, were guilty of the very same thing that she was guilty of. And after they first cast a stone at her, then, second, they're going to cast a stone at him. And third, a stone at him. And they're convicted in their conscience because of what he said. And they all disperse. Now picture this. Here, here's, the, here's the picture I want us to get. A naked woman sobbing and crying at the pinnacle of shame in her life, I'm sure. Dirty, scared, right? Wouldn't you be scared? Terrified, what is going to happen next? Number one, everybody knows what I've been up to. You see, nowadays there's no shame. Nowadays, if this were to happen and all these people were, you know, brought her out and, and exposed her for what she was, she would get on Facebook and all of those guys would be thrown in jail, right? Because there's no shame anymore. There is no shame among God's people anymore. Right. About the sins that we sin against our God. But this woman right here is ashamed. And she's frightened. And she's humiliated. And she knows that she's guilty. Now, here stands the Son of God before her. And he has dispersed the crowd. And she's left one-on-one with the Son of God. And I imagine she's still terrified. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I. Condemn thee. But he doesn't say what you did was okay. He says, Go and sin no more. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. She should have been consumed. I should be consumed. Mm -hmm. Listen to me now. There are God's people scattered all across this country, all across this world, that are broken and humiliated and ashamed and guilty. But God is a God of mercy. Amen. And if he were not a God of mercy, we would all be consumed. Right. Don't ever put the mercy of God down on your level. Right. Because the mercy of God far exceeds any level that I could ever achieve. Right. If you are one of those that are broken and humiliated and torn to pieces by this world, even if it's your own doings, don't forget that God is merciful. And he leaves the 99 to find the one. I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim.